0: Welcome to Beyond Your Newsfeed: Understanding Contemporary Politics, a podcast of the Political Science Department of Providence College. My name is William Hudson, chair of the Providence College Political Science Department and host of this podcast. All the views you will hear on this podcast are mine and those of my guests. The midterm elections of 2018 are only a week away, and we thought it would be a good time to... Uh, take some uh, stock of the campaigns that are going on, and particularly the way the media has been covering the midterm elections. Um, At the beginning of this century, most voters obtained political information from television and print media. That media environment has been transformed in the last decade or so with the onslaught of social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, and of course Twitter. For many voters in this election cycle, social media has been the primary way they engaged with candidates and the election. We have now even have a president who communicates daily on Twitter. Yet for all the attention given to social media, many Americans still get their news from those traditional news sources like television and the daily newspaper. What we'd like to do today is to, to sort out sort of what the media environment really is like in the 2018 elections. Uh, What are the uh, messages that uh, voters are hearing? And to help us sort this out, uh, I've invited our department's uh, political media expert, Professor Matt Gordino, to be our guest. Dr. Gordino earned his PhD from Syracuse University in 2011. This is his seventh year on the Providence College political science faculty. Matt has published widely on the media, Public Opinion, Public Policy, and Political Communication. His book, written with Danny Hayes of George Washington University, Influence from Abroad, Foreign Voices, the Media, and U.S. Public Opinion, was published by Cambridge University Press in 2013. He has a new book coming out uh, just uh, this next year uh, called Framing Inequality, News Media, Public Opinion, and the Neoliberal Turn in U.S. Public Policy which will be published by Oxford University Press. Uh, Matt understands the media not uh, as a academic, not only as an academic researcher, but also as a practitioner. Uh, for seven years before entering grad school in political science, Matt worked as a, a working news reporter uh, on newspapers uh, in New York State. So we have someone who can talk to us about the media from both a practical perspective uh, experience and based upon his research as a scholar. Matt, thanks for joining us on Beyond Your News Feed. Thanks, Bill. I'm glad to be here. So to get us started, um, what does political science actually tell us about how citizens are accessing uh, the news nowadays? Is social media taking over, as so many seem to think? Or do people still rely on those more traditional news sources?
1: Uh, Well, not surprisingly, it's a a complicated situation, but I'll try to make some sense of it here. Uh, There's no doubt that social media is becoming a more popular means of obtaining the news. Uh, Its use has grown tremendously over the last five years, but even just in the last uh, two years or so, uh, it's playing a larger and larger role in our political discourse. Uh, But there are a few caveats to keep in mind there when thinking about social media's role. So one thing is that by any measure, certain forms of traditional media are still very popular. Uh, Foremost among those is television. So this includes cable news. Uh, Somewhat surprisingly for a lot of people, local TV news is still quite popular. And even the old-fashioned national broadcast network news uh, commands a pretty large audience. So altogether, surveys show that about half of Americans regularly rely on some form of TV as a major news source. Um, A second thing to keep in mind is that while people are of course going online more and more every day for news, uh, we have to also think about where exactly they're obtaining that news online. Uh, And so we could think about where the internet traffic goes, right? So uh, we measure, for example, page clicks, right? And how many page clicks on a monthly basis go to different kinds of websites. And the answer to that is very clear from empirical research, which is, uh, most of the traffic goes to major kind of corporate traditional news media sources uh, that have an online
0: presence, especially major TV networks. So so that means that even those people who are accessing through social media are likely to be accessing what we might call the mainstream media. Right? Uh, certainly more likely than, than I think our
1: common perception is. Uh, so, you know, the social media, one thing I talk a lot about with my students is that we have to kind of understand that social media, for example, Facebook or Twitter, is not a news source in the way we've typically used that term. It's more a portal for accessing and circulating news. So a lot of what people get through Twitter or Facebook is from more alternative sources uh, or online-only digital sources, but a lot of it still is from the major kind of mainstream sources.
0: Nevertheless, could you you argue that because of this internet access and these social media platforms, there is greater diversity in the kinds of news people are exposed to than, say, 30 years ago when the TV networks nominated, etc. Uh,
1: yeah, I think there's no doubt that that's the case, that uh, in terms of just the universe of news, political information, political discourse that's out there, and the ability, uh, the technical ability of people to access You know that diverse information that that's much greater today than it ever has been uh at the same time there is this kind of concentration of attention online including through social media and some of the some of the same kind of major players that we've seen in in recent decades Uh, another thing i wanted to add is that social media use particularly for political news and hard news in general is demographically uneven so the thing we think about most here is age right so younger people are much more likely to access news through social media than older people but uh, education and income are also really important so people of a higher socioeconomic status are more likely to access news both online in general and through social media in particular than people of a lower economic status uh, socioeconomic status that's especially the case on on, on twitter um, and so uh... you know as far as younger americans are concerned it's it's obviously an increasingly popular way to get news social media is but we know that younger americans tend to participate less in politics at least in traditional forms and older people And so that makes uh, sources like television still
0: really important in reaching uh, politically active constituencies. So in the current election cycle, uh, have you or scholars noticed anything in particular that uh, uh, that is perhaps new and different in this election than in previous elections? Or are the patterns pretty much the same as they've been in the last few election cycles? Uh, I think that in terms of what's different, I really
1: think that social media is is what we need to talk about here as well. Um, so there are some things that, that are quite similar. For example, uh, the way in which the news, the major news media seem to be covering the races is largely from a horse racer strategic perspective, which is what we've seen uh, over decades of empirical research. And, and we can talk. Uh, more about that um, later if you'd like, but certainly social media is playing a new and much more important role um, in the election this year than it ever has. Um, And so one kind of implication of that is because of the way social media technology works, it's allowing significant minorities of sort of highly partisan, uh, supercharged kind of political activists uh, to Uh, spread their ideas and views right in a way that wasn't available on the mass scale Uh, and sometimes to spread falsehoods right so we can think about the role of so-called fake news in that too. Um, And It's also allowed a lot of highly uh, engaged partisans to kind of wall themselves off from contrary views and information Um, and so we can think about how just on Facebook people tend to be quote unquote friends on Facebook with politically like-minded people You know, some of that is just uh, our normal, our our offline world translating into the online world. We're increasingly, uh, you know, socially connected, right, offline with people who are like us politically, and that is kind of translating online. And some of it has to do with the technology. So algorithms, for example, which are computer programs that kind of shape the information that we're exposed to online, including the news, um, they tend to give us more uh, of what we click on, right? And so if you click on information from one particular partisan perspective over and over um, then the the algorithms will give you more and more of that. So it can become self-reinforcing. Um, another thing about social media is that the candidates in the campaigns have been using it in a way that they haven't used it before, which is it's becoming an increasingly popular way for Voters to learn directly about the candidates and campaigns rather than, say, through the filter, so-called, of professional news organizations. Um, And so uh, campaigns have been using social media to mobilize and persuade potential voters at a level we haven't seen before.
0: We almost might call that unmediated contact with the candidates, right? There's not a middle person who's uh, sort of interpreting what people are, are learning. Yeah, and I
1: think that's an interesting thing that, you know, I've also been talking a lot with my students about that this semester because it's a difficult situation from the media's perspective. So uh, one might say that, you know, that could be quite positive for democracy if there's more direct communication between candidates and campaigns on the one hand and voters on the other uh, so that their messages are more clearly communicated to voters, right? On the other hand, the professional news business has played an important role in holding candidates accountable, uh, in checking dubious claims, uh, and in, 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 trying to make sure that people are exposed to diverse ideas. It hasn't always been successful in that, but that's been its role and to the extent that campaigns can kind of go around the, the news, it may not be, uh, as positive for democracy as we think.
0: Yeah, that, that's very interesting. And, uh, but I'm also thinking about the gatekeeper role that we generally attributed to the, the media in the past that, uh, In order for a candidate to be viable in in a race, uh, the media often had to sort of anoint a candidate as somebody who had a possibility for winning. But what you're suggesting is that candidates with their ability to directly access voters uh, might be able to uh, get around the gates, uh, be able to become uh, viable candidates even without uh, the media paying that much attention, the traditional media paying that much attention to them. Is, is, that hap- is that happening at all in, in this uh, campaign? Uh, that's an interesting. I mean, there's
1: no doubt that 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 candidates are better able to kind of bypass that gatekeeping function uh, than they ever have been in the past. But the extent to which it's been successfully applied, I think it's the jury's kind of still out on that. It's been uneven. Uh, I mean, the, the biggest example, obviously, in the last election was President Trump himself, right? In a way that. Uh, Although he received a a lot of mainstream news coverage. I think it's a really important point to talk about as well Um, You know, he also used social media quite effectively uh, to kind of anoint himself uh, You know as a legitimate contender Uh, So that's an important point the extent to which that can translate to some of these other races. I think is 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 uneven
0: Uh, I'm thinking here there there was this uh a race this summer of Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez uh, in, in New York, uh, she uh, did the, had this surprise upset over an established member of Congress. Uh, was social media a factor in that race, as far as you know, or were there other things that, that sort of allowed her to... And, and, and as I understand it, uh, the main newspapers in New York largely ignored her campaign until the very last, when it looked like she had a chance to win.
1: Yeah, I think social media in that race was extremely important, and that's an example of a a situation in which, you know, getting around the gatekeeper can really work for certain kinds of candidates in certain circumstances. So uh, I think part of the thing to think about here is, you know, that was a a primary election, um, and that was a primary election in a heavily Democratic district, right? And so um, primary elections, you've got mainly more engaged people paying attention uh, and more kind of politically active people, uh, and, you know, within the party, uh, although, you know, uh, and so she was able in her campaign organization was able to kind of spread her ideas and also use social media as a kind of organizing and mobilizing tool. Um, and, you know, with that kind of demographic, right. Meaning a very highly engaged demographic in it, and uh, in really kind of speaking to, uh, one partisan side, it can be really effective. My guess would be, be similar in a, in a kind of Republican context as well, right? In a, in a primary, uh, general elections can be sometimes dif- different, though, because of that you're speaking to a broader range of voters often, and it's not as easy to, uh, you know, gain enough support uh, and to have your message reach as widely as you need it to, just by using. Uh, social media and not caring about, you know, the kind of
0: news media, traditional news media coverage that you get. I'm also wondering about the this interesting uh, race uh, in Texas where Beto O'Rourke is challenging Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, I know there's been some reports about his use of uh, social media. Um, he's, he, he, it looks like in recent polls, he's probably not going to uh, Big Cruz, but he's certainly running a very close race in a state that normally would be an easy win for a Republican. Um, is social media a factor there, do you think? Uh,
1: I, I, I'm not sure as much about the specifics of that race, but what I what I could say is that uh, given, given the circumstances there, you know social media is definitely important for a candidate like uh, like work um, in part because if he were to win, It would be because he can turn out a lot of voters a lot of kind of democratic leaning voters who don't often turn out in midterm elections and uh, social media can be really uh, effective at reaching uh, voters if it's used as a kind of organizing tool and a kind of mobilizing tool so I think he's probably the campaign's really trying to do that Uh, the extent to which Social media can reach more undecided or independent voters, which often can be also very important in these close races. uh, Is I I think is less,
0: right? Well, well, that seems to me an extremely important point. So, social media uh, isn't just replicating uh, the role of traditional media in providing information about campaigns. It also can be used as an organizing tool, and that is new and different, isn't it? I mean, uh, in the old days, to uh, organize people, you had to hold a meeting and uh, hope people would show up and inspire them. But, but you're saying with social media, you can sort of hold that, uh, have a virtual meeting uh, out there.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's been one of the things that we don't think about as much in recent years because there's been so much talk uh, about social media's role in sort of spreading information, right, including false information. But the organizing and mobilizing end is, is really important. So it's reduced the costs both uh, in time and energy, but also in money, right, for these kinds of tasks, particularly in campaigns. And, you know, in a race like going back to the Ocasio-Cortez win in New York, we can kind of think about you know, how that might've played out. That, uh, so people who are part of the kind of campaign organization, right, were, were using social media to organize uh, and to strategize, right? But a lot of work went door to door and through more traditional means, but they're able to organize that work right, much more effectively, much more efficiently using technology. Uh, and then they're going door to door and they're persuading folks to turn out right, for their candidate uh, and folks who may not necessarily vote uh, in midterm elections often, like I was mentioning in the Texas race as well. So that's, that's a way in which social media is really uh, democratized, uh, I would say, elections.
0: Okay, I'd like to shift our focus a little bit now from the, the media itself to the messages that the media is communicating in this election. Uh, what do you see as the kind of messages that are, are uh, predominant in this election campaign? I know since this is a complicated race with uh, people running in very many different districts and different states, there might, not be, there might be quite a bit of diversity But among that diversity, can you identify any kind of commonality that is is interesting? And in particular, do you see that the kinds of messages being conveyed in the traditional media, how does that connect to what people might be hearing in social media?
1: Uh, um, So I do think that this is uh, largely, I mean, oftentimes midterm congressional elections can be, you know, national elections in terms of you know, common themes and issues, right, that kind of transcend geographical boundaries. And I think this is, uh, it, it, it's definitely uh, one of the more kind of nationalized elections. So I think we do see some common issues and themes. Uh, I, first and foremost, this is an election about President Trump himself, not just his policy performance, but his, uh, his personality, what he symbolizes, right, to each side, and the president himself, in the last few days in particular, has made that point directly at campaign rallies. Um, and, you know, part of that is on the policy end is, of course, the, the immigration issue, right? Becoming more and more front and center in, in Republican campaign discourse. Uh, and not just a hard, kind of more restrictive stance in immigration, but in some cases even a more kind of militarized stance, right? That was thought, it, it's thought would appeal to President Trump's base who will then turn out for Republican candidates. Um, the Democratic side, uh, immigration is also uh, an important issue, but I do think that the Democratic Party establishment is uh, went into this election with a fairly similar kind of strategy that Hillary Clinton had a couple years ago, which is to make this uh, a kind of election against President Trump. Um, not as much to put forward a kind of proactive policy platform that's kind of clear and consistent. Um, The difference is that, as you mentioned before, there are these progressive or more left-leaning Democrats that have been uh, successful in some places that are really trying to uh, make this uh, an election not just against President Trump and his immigration policies as well as just his uh, his his rhetoric and, and behavior, but also an election about um, social and, and economic populism of a left leaning variety. So you see uh, parts of the Democratic kind of uh, candidates pushing things like raising a minimum wage to fifteen dollars, Medicare for all, um, which has been you know uh, gaining popularity in the Democratic Party uh, at a much greater level than you've seen over the last several decades. And I think that the kind of progressive Democrats, in particular their use of social media to spread that message has been um, effective in terms of
0: you know, what they want to be telling the electorate this fall. And again they can use social media to target uh, those voters that might be responsive to that kind of a, of a message and uh, encourage them to turn out. So that's again that sort of marriage of the, mm-hmm. of the media as a conveyor of information but also a mobilizing uh, device, so I could see that would be very valuable uh, to uh, say people on the left wing. Though uh, I've also noticed that uh, there seems to be a lot of discussion of healthcare in general in campaigns, uh, uh, even in uh, some of these campaigns on the part of uh, moderates. Uh, Claire McCaskill in um, Missouri, for example, has made uh, access to healthcare and cover uh, insurance coverage for people who might have pre-existing conditions is a major, major factor. Um, how can we account for that becoming so, such an important issue uh, in this campaign, do you think?
1: I, I think just, you know, for, for the Democrats overall, whether the kind of more establishment kind of uh, leadership action or the, this kind of more progressive wing that, you know, defending, first defending Obamacare, right, or what's left of it is, is really important and they see that as a message particularly the pre-existing conditions aspect of that policy as a message that will resonate not only with kind of more left-leaning voters but also with kind of more independents and moderates um, in some of these states that you know or districts that are more so-called purple right in color Um, uh, and you know that really came from the attempts right over the years for the republicans and president trump to get rid of Obamacare, right? So so in some ways, that's an anti-Trump message as well, right, in a particular kind of policy domain. Um, the left Democrats, of course, want to go beyond that, right, to a more universal system. Um, so they're kind of kind of adding on to that message.
0: I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about uh, President Trump. Um, can you say more about how he's uh, affecting this election campaign? He uh, clearly, that certain some of the Democrats want to make this a referendum on Trump. Trump himself, uh, I think, seems to perceive it as a referendum on his performance. Uh, he certainly has been very active uh, with rallies and the like. Uh, what are your thoughts about uh, the president's sort of outsized uh, presence in this midterm election, and how does that compare to his, like previous presidents?
1: So I can think about this from a media perspective first, specifically. And, and w- one thing we know is, this has this gone back several decades, is that the president always draws a lot of news coverage, right, and government officials, major government officials in general. And when a president really inserts um, himself, as in this case, aggressively and actively into a midterm election, then that's going to draw even more news coverage. And in particular, when a president has uh, the use of something like Twitter, uh, to kind of amplify his message. Um, Twitter itself draws mainstream news coverage. And so if I could talk about that aspect of it a little bit. So we sometimes we think that Twitter and other social media platforms are sort of separate from the mainstream news. And one way in which they're not is something that I mentioned earlier, which is a lot of what gets spread via Twitter and Facebook is from the mainstream news media. But another way in which they're not separate is that mainstream news organizations Will often um, have their agenda set by what's on social media. And that's a fairly new phenomenon. Uh, and especially if a major government official like the president makes a claim, right, uh, or uh, spreads uh, an idea via social media. For various reasons, mainstream journalists feel compelled to to cover that, to pick up on it, and you've definitely seen that in this election.
0: Yeah, that seems to have happened with the caravan, right? The caravan of immigrants from Honduras that uh, is making its way through Mexico. Uh, you would uh, would you say that's an example of what you're talking about? That uh, that kind of started out as a social media uh, phenomenon, picked up by the right wing media, and then President Trump. Uh, talked a lot about at his rallies and pretty soon it was on the front page in the New York Times
1: yeah I think that's the first example that that comes to mind recently in this election um, so and it's not it's not as if the mainstream media wouldn't cover um, uh, the 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 so-called caravan itself right coming north but it's the kind it's the ways in which it might be covering that issue uh, or that event and some of the claims that are Dubious at best, that are made by, uh, you know, more partisan sources, and then amplified by a president through social media, that then get picked up by the mainstream news media, and often to debunk those claims, right? So an example would be the idea that this this so-called caravan is, uh, is hiding uh, dangerous terrorists, right, or it's being funded by um, liberal uh, billionaire George Soros, right, and so. Uh, even if the mainstream news media is trying to debunk those kinds of claims, uh, by covering them, right, it changes the kind of media environment and the, the political discourse overall.
0: Well that's, um, that's fascinating, so that even as they try to correct the record, so to speak, uh, there, are, uh, there are untruths out there and the media comes in and says we're going to tell exactly that, we're going to tell the American people that no, there aren't any terrorists in that caravan. But just by saying that, they, in fact, raise awareness of the issue. So some people may not hear the debunking, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. now will say, oh, there must be terrorists in that caravan. Uh, I've heard about that on the TV. So is that the kind of thing that happens? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And there's no easy answer from the media's perspective on this because, you know, there there is a need to hold, you know, elected officials accountable for the things they say. And I think there's been a new, a new kind of effort on the part of the parts of the mainstream news media over the last two years to try to do that. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, it does it not only can legitimate some of these claims, arguably, but it can distract attention from other stories sometimes and other forms of reporting that might be equally important for the citizenry, right, to be aware of. Uh, and so. Uh, It's And the other thing about President Trump's role here that I think is very, very important is that we know that Republicans especially have uh, been sort of running against the mainstream media or the liberal media, Uh, in other words, using the media as a political issue for many decades. But I think that that President Trump has taken that to a new level. And um, there's a way in which mainstream news media's coverage of President Trump's attacks on it Meaning, the tax on the news media may kind of reinforce the president's political strategy. So, so you have uh, we can think about some of the um, uh, uh, tragic events uh, over the weekend uh, in Pittsburgh, as well as last week the the bombs. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, claims by President Trump and supporters that the liberal media is to blame, right, for some of these things. Uh, so the the president's attacking the media. The media covers his attacks on itself, uh, including to debunk right those attacks, um, and then that coverage becomes fodder
0: for additional
1: attacks by the president and by his hard you know hardcore supporters.
0: Yeah. So so Trump says to the media, "You're the enemy of the people," and the media responds by saying, "No, we're not the enemy of the people," and uh, it's it's wrong for you to do that. That's not a good thing to do, to call us the enemy of the people. We're actually here trying to provide information the people need. And he can turn that around and say, see, they're the enemy of the people. They're attacking me.
1: It, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah.
0: You yeah. 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 Uh, can see that. But I could also can see that, that that makes it very difficult for, for a journalist covering the president. Uh, how can you get out of that trap? Uh, your choice is either to... You know, ignore uh, his claims altogether, uh, and sort of let them sit out there. Uh, but then, when you try to call him, uh, point those the, the falsehoods out, uh, you in fact simply reinforce his message. Yeah, it's an
1: extremely difficult position that the, the media is in right now, and um, some of it, uh, some of it, I think, uh, has to do with really fundamental um, kind of uh, elements of how the the media operates. So. Um, The media is reliant on official government sources to a great degree in the United States, the president being foremost among them. Uh, When an official source um, says something, uh, especially someone like the president, automatically becomes news. And uh, so, you know, one way in which over the long term this kind of situation could be lessened is if the media were to sort of rely on uh, other kinds of sources more often, more independent reporting sources um, who are outside of kind of the centers of power, right, whatever those centers of power happen to be, which could, you know, lessen the situation a bit. But, uh, you know, the media is not going to stop covering the president in general or the presidency, nor should they, would most people say. So it's a difficult situation.
0: You, you mentioned these uh, horrible events that have happened in the, just the last week. Uh, and there's also, uh, prior to that, there was the murder of Jamal Khashoggi in Istanbul and, and the caravan itself. So we've had some kind of dramatic events reported in the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, do you think these events are going to have any impact on the outcome of the election? Uh, that's a fascinating
1: question. It's kind of hard to gauge the potential impact since you know they're kind of still developing. Um, you know, in terms of the way the news is covered, at what these these examples that you've mentioned, I think in some ways have been quite similar to what we've seen um, over the last several decades in you know situations of um, you know acts of horrible violence, right? So you know, emphasizing the human interest and in most kind of dramatic angles of the story, um, and also the reliance on official sources. So in some ways, we see very very similar kinds of coverage. Um, in other ways, it's very different. And this is one way in which it might actually affect right some races next week. Um, and so going back to social media, right, the president's um, rhetoric, rhetorical responses to these events uh, gets covered. And you know, in some ways, as I suggested, sometimes covering the president's uh, remarks and, and his use of Twitter could be playing into the president's strategy. On the other hand, in a situation like this, um, you know, some of that rhetoric could turn off potential sort of independent or more moderate voters, um, who maybe were on the fence about either voting at all in the midterms or about whom to vote for. And you know, oftentimes these folks make up their minds late in the process, and um, things that happen late um, and perceptions that they that they gain from those events, right, late in, in the cycle can, can be really important, particularly in these more swing House districts and some of the closer Senate races. Yeah, so, so you're thinking
0: the, like a suburban moderate voter uh, who may have been thinking about other issues and maybe leaning towards a voting Republican uh, when uh, they, see, he, they see how the president's reacting or particularly to the, the synagogue massacre and, and perhaps not being appearing as compassionate as one might expect. Uh, they might suddenly be reminded that they don't like President Trump Mm -hmm. and they'll be more inclined to vote for a Democrat.
1: Yeah, this is one way in which President Trump's role in the election could, you know, kind of cut both ways in terms of, um, you know, how it shakes out in the results. So I think some, I would suggest that some, at least privately, some of the kind of Republican leadership is not Very happy with the way in which uh, President Trump has inserted himself into the election, particularly his remarks uh, in the last week or two. Um, And we have to remember that you know we often think, I think, uh, wrongly, um, you know, in an empirical sense, that the entire uh, American population is divided into strong liberals and Democrats on one side, and strong Republicans, conservatives, on the other. Um, There are still an awful lot of people without strong partisan loyalties out there. Um, And uh, particularly in these close races, right, they can be really, really important. And again, as I talked about earlier, they're not primarily relying on sort of social media echo chambers for their news. Mm -hmm. And so they watch um, the coverage of these events and President Trump's reactions to them on television primarily. Um, or on, you know, websites uh, that, you know, the television network's websites. And, and they're seeing a different picture maybe than uh, what the Republicans uh, would like to, uh, you know, the different message they're gaining from that, than the Republicans would like to, to circulate.
0: And, and so they might shift rather dramatically uh, based upon what they perceive. So let's kind of wind things up here uh, uh, you're a political scientist and I'm gonna ask you to stick your neck out uh, a week before the election uh, how do you see the election coming out are the Democrats going to take the house uh, what's hap- what do you think is going to happen in the Senate uh, or can, can I can I get you to make some predictions uh, so I usually do try to stay out
1: of the election prediction business but uh, I do think it's safe to say that Democrats will, uh, almost certainly narrow the margin in the House significantly, and very likely could could take control of the House. Uh, the Senate is a more remote possibility, but it's also plausible. Um, I think you know it's kind of a truism to say that turnout is crucial. Uh, it's crucial in every election, but particularly in these midterm elections, which don't see high turnout in general. Uh, And it's going to work out differently on both sides. So Democrats typically are at a turnout disadvantage in midterm elections, mainly because large parts of the uh, of the demographic base that's been uh, big supporters of Democrats are not as frequent voters as on the Republican side. Um, But, you know, some of these social media organizing efforts that we've talked about earlier could boost turnout in some places among Democratic voters. Um, And uh, on the Republican side, it's an open question. The extent to which a kind of strategy focused on defending the president and his achievements uh, and and what he stands for is enough to turn out some of the folks who voted for President Trump a couple of years ago. Um, So I think that will be crucial to look at.
0: Well, thank you very much, Professor Gordino, for enlightening us on uh, what's going on in the election campaign uh, this fall. Uh, And thanks uh, again to Chris Judge who uh, provides the technical support for this podcast and to Joe Carr of the Marketing and Communications uh, Department of Providence College for supporting our podcast. And most of all, thanks to our listeners. Uh, If you have not yet subscribed, please subscribe. We'll be having some more podcasts uh, uh, in the coming weeks. And uh, please tell your friends about this podcast. Thanks very much.